If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 601. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are there? Give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. You get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. I have a course out right now for pre-order, 25 People Who Changed America. You're going to get a great price on it if you're on my email list or if you're a subscriber at McClanahan Academy. Once the course is officially released, the price goes up. Also, all of my classes are going up in April, so you're getting a great coupon right now at McClanahan Academy, at my email uh, list, to get these courses at the lowest price you'll ever see them. So you want to head on those email lists to get those great deals in March of 2022. You can also support the show by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. You can purchase any of my books wherever books are sold online. You can purchase your Brian McClanahan Show logo, gear, my merchandise, Clicking on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share the podcast around on social media. Send me those show requests. It's always a great way to help expand the audience. All right, so this is going to be a really fun week. At the end of the week, we're going to talk about history and the distortion of history. But I'm going to start this week with a piece that was actually published in The Federalist uh, last week. And... um, It is a really interesting piece. It's entitled, The Press Lied to Drag Us into War Before, Don't Think They Won't Again. It's by L. Reynolds. And I think this is a, it's interesting that the Federalist, which doesn't usually print material that's very good, it's a a generally Straussian type neoconservative website. But every now and then they have something good, and this one is pretty good. And it actually deals with the Spanish-American War, and how the United States was dragged into war in 1898 on the basis of a lie. Now, we could almost make this case for just about anything else, right? I mean, look, World War I was a war war to make the world safe for democracy. That's a huge lie. I mean, what does that even mean anyways? I'll never forget I was sitting in a seminar with uh, a a professor named Owen Connolly who wrote Uh, a great book on the French Revolution. If you want to read a very good book, Summary of the French Revolution, if you can get his textbook on it, Owen Connolly. Uh, Most of the books written on the French Revolution are from a Marxist perspective. He's not. He also wrote very good books on Napoleon. In fact, I would argue that he's probably the best Napoleonic scholar or was the best Napoleonic scholar in the United States when he was still alive. He died several years ago, but he taught at University of South Carolina. Um, He was just so good. And uh, I remember him sitting there, and he asked that question in a seminar. Well, what the heck does this even mean? What is, the, what is the world safe for democracy? What is that? And, of course, he said, we've spilled a lot of blood, and he's right about this, to make the world safe for democracy since, since the 19-teens. What does this mean? And, of course, so you could say the United States was dragged into that war. Remember, 
Woodrow Wilson campaigned in 1916 on he kept us out of war. There was no effort to keep the United States out of war. This is why William Jennings Bryan resigned ultimately, because the Wilson administration was rushing headlong into war. And then if you just look at World War II, the evidence, that there's no smoking gun, so to speak, but the circumstantial evidence certainly points in a direction that Franklin Roosevelt ignored warnings about a Pearl Harbor attack. There's certainly evidence that Franklin Roosevelt wanted the United States in the war, and uh, the public had to be dragged into it. We know that the America First Committee had unearthed a plan by the United States government through the Defense Department to get the United States involved in the war. And this led to the U.S. government going into a full court press against people like Charles Lindbergh, who they cons- he called a Nazi. He wasn't a Nazi, but this is exactly what they did. It's, it's smearing people because they're opposed to the war machine. We know that the Cold War, much of the Cold War, uh, and some of the atrocities that uh, were supposedly committed were used to drag the United States into war. Look, Vietnam, oh, that war was started on a lie. Uh, we know that the United States has gotten involved in wars because of lies. We know that the Gulf of Tonkin incident was a lie. Uh, we know that the search for weapons of mass destruction in Iraq was a lie. So almost throughout the 20th century, the United States and American men and women have been dragged into wars and killed in wars because the establishment press and the government have lied to the American public at large. This is a, this is a fact based on the evidence we have, and it's substantial, from all of the misdeeds and shady dealings of the United States government and, of course, the press that covers up for it. So why would you think this war in the Ukraine would be any different? Particularly when you look at who is on board with it and you start to wonder, why would I, why would I side with these people? Why would anyone side with Bill Crystal or Lindsey Graham? I mean, these people are morons. Why would anyone side with the establishment? Once the establishment gets on board with something, you know it's a bad idea for America. It's a bad idea. Because they have their own agenda. This is something that people don't don't think about on a regular basis because most people just want to live their lives and do what they want to do. But the establishment has an agenda, and that agenda is generally to the detriment of the population at large, particularly the majority of Americans. So I want to read this piece by L. Reynolds because it does get into the Spanish-American War, and there's some really uh, interesting parts of it. She says, The night of February 15, 1898, the U.S. battleship Maine sat at anchor in Havana, Cuba. A few minutes after 9 p.m., the nightly ritual of taps from Pfeiffer C.H. Newton's bugle descended over the ship. Some half an hour later, the forward end of the ship rose suddenly above the water. Along the pier, passersby could hear a rumbling explosion, detailed author Tom Miller. Within seconds, another eruption, this one deafening and massive, splintered the bow, sending anything that wasn't battened down, and most of that was flying more than 200 feet into the air. The explosion, which killed more than 250 men on board, was quickly memorialized with cries of remember the main. Without directly accusing Spain, which controlled Cuba at the time, a U.S. Naval Court of Inquiry decided a month later that the explosion was from a mine. A U.S. Navy investigation decades later found it was likely an accidental coal bunker fire. So 
Yes, it was an accident. It wasn't a mine that sank the main. In fact, there's some speculation that it maybe wasn't even an accident, that it was sabotage, but not from any outside force, but from a sailor himself. Shortly afterward, the United States declared war on Spain, starting the Spanish-American War. One of the biggest warmongering forces in America, capitalizing on the Maine's explosion, was the press, a position American media pundits continue to hold as they work overtime to drag American Americans into a war with Russia over Ukraine. This is exactly right. This is the era of yellow journalism. And so the press was in a full-court press, so to speak, you know, to get the United States into the war in Spain. And, of course, this splendid little war, which is exactly what the Republicans wanted. Teddy Roosevelt wanted it. There were many people in the, in the uh, American government that wanted it. The expansionists. McKinley was a little more lukewarm to it, but the expansionists were certainly in favor of this because it meant more territory for the United States. We weren't getting involved in Africa, for example. We didn't have the colonies that other European powers had. We needed, these, we needed this war to pick up a Pacific empire. We had California. Uh, there's a great book by Norman Grabner, Empire on the Pacific, where he talks about the, the threat of Pacific Wars should the United States acquire California. This was something people were talking about in the 1840s. It was Polk's desire to get California in the 1840s. We ended up getting it. But part of the, uh, part of the push against it was that we were going to be involved in Pacific Wars. Well, look what happened. We acquire California 40 years later. We're involved in some major wars on the Pacific, and of course, that's going to bridge into all the things that happened in the 20th century. This Spanish-American War was directly a result of American interests in the Pacific. Of course, Hawaii, acquiring Hawaii in 1898 as well. This is all part of it. Reynolds continues, when you see talking heads uncritically parroting propaganda stories about Ukraine that turn out to be false, from the ghosts of Kiev to the that Snake Island story to old photos taken years ago, you should be asking why the corporate media is so willing to spread such fake news, while it censors conservatives for factual critiques of disproven COVID narratives, no less. It wouldn't be the first time the press lied to pull Americans into war. It was the so-called golden age of newspapers after the influence of the Industrial Revolution gave rise to the penny press, newspapers you could buy at the street corner without a subscription. Competing magnates like William Randolph Hearst and Joseph Pulitzer fought for readers, and they did so by trying to produce the most sensational news possible. As the story goes, in the year before the Maine exploded, Hearst had commissioned reporter Frederick Remington to go to Cuba, where Cuban revolutionaries were skirmishing with their Spanish colonizers. When Remington sent Hearst to a wire to explain he was leaving Cuba because there was no war to cover, Hearst reportedly replied, You furnish the pictures and I'll furnish the war. So Remington goes down there and says, there's no war down here. We're gonna. So they sensationalize everything. And of course, some of this was the result of um, the Spanish and their use of, um, it's often said, uh, concentration camps for the opponents of Spanish occupation there. Now, whether these concentration camps were real or fabricated is another, <laughs> another question. But certainly the press was sensationalizing everything to try to get the United States dragged into this war. After the sinking of the Maine, headlines like Spanish treachery and destruction of the warship Maine was the work of an enemy, an invasion, and who had destroyed the Maine? $50,000 reward splashed across front pages. The United States went to war in April, two months after the Maine perished. 
The media's eagerness to gin up a war mirrored the push for involvement from other voices in politics and culture. Some Americans had sympathy for the Spanish-owned Cuba as fellow colonial revolutionaries, while others wanted to see U.S. influence and territory expanded internationally. Half a century prior, when the phrase Manifest Destiny was being coined, the United States had gone to war with Mexico over Texas, but also ended the war with the acquisitions of what is now California, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming, and the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. By 1898, the United States had purchased Alaska from Russia and claimed several Pacific islands. Many Americans saw a similar opportunity for territorial expansion in a fight with Spain over Cuba. Sure enough, the United States exited the Spanish-American War with new acquisitions from Guam to the Philippines to Puerto Rico. While the warmongers weren't limited to the press, they were certainly concentrated there. The State Department Office of the Historian writes, quote, Hearst and Pulitzer devoted more and more attention to the Cuban struggle for independence at times, accentuating the harshness of Spanish rule or the nobility of the revolutionaries and occasionally printing rousing stories that proved to be false. She asks, sound familiar? Of course. Right? This is what the press was doing. It sold papers. It draw, it, nowadays, it's drawing eyeballs to news coverage. And every time something tragic happens, or supposedly something tragic happens, or something heroic happens, well, you've got the press right there to cover it. Think about the, uh, the news story not long ago that showed all the bodies and body bags. They were actors, right? Because one guy getting out of the box. Oh, oh, I forgot. I got uncomfortable here. So, I mean, this is crazy that people even think much of this stuff is actually real. Now, there is, of course, violence, and there is, of course, destruction, and people are dying, and this is a horrible thing that's going on there. But at the end of the day, the media is trying to drag the United States into a war because it sells revenue. It sells advertising, right? It sells these things that they need to continue to run their television stations. And who is going to be hurt by it? Well, of course... Americans. Remember, the May may have been the height of the yellow journalism era, but it's certainly not the last instance of dishonest reporting in favor of sensational war-mongering. During the Spanish Civil War, which saw nationalist revolutionaries clash with Republicans in the years directly preceding World War II, some Western outlets were criticized for covering the conflict sensationally. The New York Times voted far more manpower of the war than papers at the time traditionally did, with highly partisan perspectives. George Orwell, who fought alongside Republican forces, wrote in his memoir, Homage to Catalonia, that for the first time I saw newspaper reports which did not bear any relation to the facts, not even the relationship which is implied in an ordinary lie. I saw great battles reported where there had been no fighting, and complete silence where hundreds of men had been killed. I saw troops who had fought bravely denounced as cowards and traitors, and others who had never seen a shot fired hailed as heroes of imaginary victories. And I saw newspapers in London retailing these lies and eager intellectuals building emotional superstructures over events that had never happened. And I saw, in fact, history being written not in terms of what happened, but of what ought to have happened during, according to various party lines. Now again, what ought to have happened? I'm going to talk about history this week. I'm going to read a chapter from an important book, and it gets into this. History that ought to have happened according to party lines. Newspaper propagandists willing to cover wars in self-interested ways did not always run in the same direction either. Orwell's contemporary and fellow writer Ernest Hemingway had similar criticism for propagandist writers who downplayed the carnage of World War I, insisting it was the most colossal, murderous, mismanaged butchery that has ever taken place on Earth. Any writer who said otherwise lies. The writers either wrote propaganda, shut up, or fought. Later in the 20th century, the New York Times Berlin bureau chief 
Guido Enderes was providing friendly coverage of Hitler's Germany, according to writer Ashley Rindsberg's book, The Grey Lady Winked. Meanwhile, the paper's Moscow correspondent, Walter Durante, Rinsberg noted, was downplaying Joseph Stalin's role in the 1932-33 famine in Ukraine because, quote, at the time, the New York Times was actively pushing for American recognition of the Soviet Union. President Franklin Roosevelt obliged, recognizing the USSR in 1933. So again, she doesn't mention, of course, uh, she mentions World War I, uh, but not, and downplaying, I think, is right, but also the press covering for Woodrow Wilson and other things that were going on. Doesn't mention, of course, Roosevelt in World War II. Now, that wasn't press sensationalism there, but that was the press not doing their job and trying to find out information. A more recent example is that of the New York Times and other corporate media outlets reporting baseless stories about the existence of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq to gin up support for President George W. Bush's invasion of Iraq in 2003. A year afterwards, the Times editors admitted their lopsided reporting on the matter in a lengthy editorial piece. We have found a number of instances of coverage that was not as rigorous as it should have been, they wrote. In some cases, information that was controversial then and seems questionable now was sufficiently, insufficiently qualified or allowed to stand unchallenged. Administration officials now acknowledge that they sometimes fell for misinformation from these Iraq exile sources. So did many news organizations, in particular this one, the editors continued. With the rapid dissemination of sensational photos, videos, and information via social media today, there's no indication the corporate press is any less immune from, to disinformation when it fits their narrative. When you see corporate outlets rushing in, us into war in Europe with sensational stories and flat-out dishonest polling, think twice, she says. The corporate, corrupt media has lied to drag Americans into war before, and none of their recent lies on, on other issues should incline you to think they won't do it again. This, in some ways, is a heroic piece to be published in The Federalist because she's actually going after the neocon. She went after George W. Bush. You don't, you don't do that. Uh, but certainly, it's important to note that uh, there, this, this idea of tr the Trump administration and fake news is resonating. And if we look at American history objectively, which, of course, nobody is going to do, and I can't even do that. But when you look at the evidence on some of the things, right, when you look at uh, these stories of war, you find that there's a lot of evidence that you know, maybe this was sensationalized in one way or another. Maybe there was something going on here that uh, was disingenuous. I mean, you could even say there was some of this going on in previous years, even into the 1840s and 1860s with the Mexican War. American blood has been shed on American soil. Now, of course, that's a lie coming from the government. I think you also have to place blame on the government here. Abraham Lincoln, uh, these are traitors. Secession is illegal. Usually the government is fueling these propaganda stories, and of course the media picks on, on it. Her point is that the media create some of this stuff themselves, and the government will follow suit, because the, pub, the public then will be pushing for war when they really shouldn't be. So this particular story I find to be, uh, again, as I said, heroic in many ways to be published in The Federalist. But we have to be careful with the media. We have to be careful with historians. Remember, also during World War I, we had uh, an official mouthpiece for the government to promote the correct story of the war. 
We got this essentially in World War II as well. And so the reins were loosened a little bit in Vietnam. And because they were loosened in Vietnam, uh, there was a public reaction to the war as terrible images coming back from Vietnam were being shown uh, on televisions. And so this is why ever since then, the military has tried to control in the United States the, uh, the media and their access to what's going on to a certain extent. But you have the embedded reporters and other things. Uh, now, how much of that is sensationalized with the United States is unknown. But when you're looking at uh, this war in Europe, you're getting a lot of misinformation. And that's because we really can't trust anything coming out of there. So the, the idea of an unbiased, objective media is certainly on display here that it's false. The idea of an unbiased, objective administration just trying to keep us out of war is certainly false. As I said before, when Joe Biden says at the end of his State of the Union address, go get him, what does he mean by that? What was that phrase? Anyone watching that would think, my gosh, the man has just made a call for war. Is that what he's done? He's saying, we're not going to go to war. We're not, uh, you know, we're not going to have a no-fly zone. You've got, but then you've got Zelensky appearing to Congress, trying to push the United States into it. And you've got Congress just opening the checkbook and saying, but I mean, what are we doing here? When the establishment is on board with something, be very, very suspicious of it and be careful because that generally means it's not what you think it is. So I, I applaud uh, Miss Reynolds for writing this piece. I think more people need to be aware of American disinformation throughout American history when it comes to wars when it comes to the bad guys, the boogeyman, everything else. And we're going to talk about that, how that relates to history again later this week. But I certainly wanted to cover this because I think it's a nice setup for what we're going to do on Wednesday and Thursday this week. Tomorrow I'm going to talk about conservatism and how conservatism has, hasn't really conserved anything. It's a great piece from Chronicles Magazine uh, from last year, but I didn't get to cover it then. I want to cover it now. So, Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then.